Thanks very much for staying with us. Time now for Eye on Africa with me, Georgia Calvin-Smith. Tonight, vigils continue for the dozens missing in a ferry accident off the coast of Gabon's capital. At least half a dozen were killed, and there's been a backlash against authorities' allegedly slow response to the crisis. Also, delegates for the UN Security Council meet some of the thousands displaced by ongoing clashes in eastern DR Congo. Civilians continue to be caught up in the battle between soldiers and M23 rebels. And a new exhibition set up in Senegal to bear witness to the trauma and abuse suffered by Gambians who lived through the 22-year rule of former President Yaya Jame. Many of his victims were forced to flee the country. But first, six people were killed and 31 are still missing days after a ferry went down off the coast of Gabon. Relatives and friends of those lost and missing have been holding vigils on the dock from which the ship departed last week. There's growing anger at authorities' response to the crisis. Olivia Bizot has more. Since last week's deadly shipwreck, Gabonese people have been paying their respects here. At the port of Libreville, where the boat took off with its 161 passengers. People are not only here to mourn the victims of the accident, but also to shed light on what happened. My four children have still not been found, and the boat hasn't been examined yet. If they had looked inside the boat, they would at least have accurate information about what exactly was found. Families are angry about the lack of information and the inefficiency of rescue services. They're desperate for their loved ones to be found. We saw the condition of the bodies that had been found when they arrived yesterday, and they were in an indescribable state. Some people still have hope because miracles do happen, but many have lost hope of finding their loved ones alive. On Sunday, the Gabonese Prime Minister visited the families of the victims. He assured them that the government is doing all it can to find those who are still missing. The ferry capsized on March the 9th. It was carrying passengers from the capital Libreville to an oil port further south. At least 70 people across southern Africa have been killed by Cyclone Freddy. It made landfall in the region in February. Over the weekend, it again swept through Mozambique before battering Malawi on Monday. It's on track to become the longest-lasting storm on record. Leaving a trail of destruction in Mozambique and Malawi, Cyclone Freddy made landfall for a second time in a month over the weekend. In Malawi's second-largest city, Blantyre, Residents are counting the cost. I've never seen anything as terrible as this. My neighbors' homes are all gone. The family members are gone. They're missing. In some cases, the father's alive, but the wife and the children are gone. Mozambique was also badly hit, and a UN body there has warned that more than half a million people could be affected by the cyclone. The UN has also warned that with the flooding, there's a risk of waterborne diseases. Others are now grappling with landslides, and many are still without electricity. Freddy is one of the strongest storms ever recorded in the Southern Hemisphere. It first developed near Australia and crossed the entire Southern Indian Ocean in February. It then followed what meteorologists have said was a rare loop trajectory, heading back towards Madagascar, 
before moving once again towards Mozambique and Malawi. It could set a record for the longest lasting tropical cyclone. Freddy's traveled more than 10,000 kilometers and it's generated accumulated cyclone energy. So that's an index that we um, use to measure the amount of wind, wind energy. It's generated the as much accumulated cyclone energy as an average North Atlantic hurricane season. This is one storm. Freddie is expected to weaken and exit back to sea on Wednesday. In South Africa, striking healthcare workers have been ordered to go back to work by Tuesday morning by a Labour appeal court. The walkout started last week after union negotiations with the government for a 10% wage increase fell through. Services at the country's major hospitals have been affected by the dispute. And in DR Congo, M23 militia continued to target civilians over the weekend as a UN Security Council delegation visited the rest of East and called for a political solution to the insurgency. At least five people were killed in Kahumiru on Saturday in clashes between the M23 and the army. The conflicts forced over 800,000 people from their homes, some who found refuge in a displaced person camp in Goma. Our correspondents report. Gathered, exhausted, they all have come to welcome the United Nations representatives visiting the Bushagara camp. These displaced people arrived here at the gates of Goma six months ago after fleeing the fighting between the Congolese army, armed groups and the M23. During its visit, the UN delegation encouraged the continuation of the Nairobi and Luanda peace processes to help silence the guns. Congolese authorities are calling for sanctions against Rwanda, which they accuse of supporting the M23. Kigali denies this support. While the UN has condemned Rwanda's involvement in the conflict, the organization believes that in order to move forward with the discussions, responsibilities must be shared. There is a responsibility that falls on the DRC itself. They are responsible for the security of the country. This is a sovereign country. The Congolese army must act, act against the groups. In the Bushagara camp, the displaced expected more than condemnations from the UN representatives. What all of them want are solutions to the conflict so that one day they can return home. We are suffering here in the East. In 2007, we already fled the war. Today we are still fleeing. We have been hearing promises from the international community for over 20 years. We hear that they're going to find solutions, but the war still goes on. Despite the announced ceasefire, clashes continue in the east of the country, particularly in Saki, a town located less than 30 kilometers from Goma. According to the United Nations, in just one year, in North Kivu, more than 800,000 people have been forced to flee their villages. Tunisia's inaugurated a new parliament that's been largely stripped of its influence or ability to hold the government or president to account. The assembly was elected after a new constitution was passed last July that granted President Kais Saeed unchecked powers. Private press and foreign journalists were denied access to its first session in Bardo on Monday, and unions have warned the country is becoming increasingly authoritarian. That will rebuild the Tunisian revolution and return to the values of the revolution. But as you can see, the journalists are outside the walls of parliament. This is a clear indication that the media blackout has become systematic. This decision is a scandal. 
We will not allow journalists to be excluded from exercising their duties inside and outside Parliament. This week, judges in The Hague have been considering medical testimony regarding the fitness of the Rwandan Felician Kabuga to remain in the dock. He faces charges of genocide and crimes against humanity over the 1994 genocide in his homeland. Survivors have condemned the latest delay to his trial after it was put on hold last week. Clément de Roma tells us more. On Monday, less than six months after the opening of Felician Kabuga's genocide trial, Judges at DAG started examining medical reports alleging that the octogenarian accused is no longer fit to attend his trial. The proceedings have been difficult since the start. During the first week after the trial's opening last September, Kabuga refused to appear in court as witnesses testified. Eventually, he did physically attend, but the roadblocks continued. The court allowed hearings to run for just two hours, three times a week because of Kabuga's age. In addition to the very slow pace, the trial resumed late after the judicial holidays with a break from December to mid-February. Survivors' associations in Rwanda say they were expecting more from the tribunal and that victims on the 1994 genocide are growing increasingly frustrated Will they hold up. Everyone, especially genocide survivors, expected fair and prompt justice. It's a shame if we stop, because the accused is getting old and could die at any time. These are delaying tactics that the lawyers and the family are trying to use so that the trial would go on forever. Before the start of the trial, judges declared the accused to be fit to participate but recognized cognitive impairment in his vulnerable and fragile state. The latest suspension of the trial comes just before the commemoration in April of the 29th anniversary of the mass killings of around 800,000 Tutsis and moderate Hutus in Rwanda. Kabuga is accused of having bankrolled some of the murder squads behind the mass killings. Clément de Rome there for us. Now, the 22-year reign of former Gambian President Yahya Jame ended in 2017 and was marked by extensive human rights abuses. He's now living in exile in Equatorial Guinea to avoid prosecution, but his rule still casts a long shadow. Many of his victims fled to Senegal, and now a temporary exhibition has been set up there to give voice to those who suffered through his rule. Sam Bradpiece has been to have a look. Memory House is a Gambian exhibition project that uses visual storytelling to document abuses that took place under Yahya Jame's regime and to stop the perpetrators from fading into obscurity. For the first time, it's visiting Senegal, where hundreds of schoolchildren have come to learn about the not-so-distant past. To be honest with you, I didn't know much about all this. I had heard stories, but I didn't realize how bad it was. None of us want what happened in the Gambia to happen to us. They really suffered. There were people who lost everything. People were traumatized. Sira Ndao's uncle was killed by the Jame regime. She's now a human rights activist determined to make sure that the mistakes of the past don't happen again. As you can see, we have students here. We're here engaging with students from Senegal. We do the same thing in Gambia, where we engage with the students and next generation to teach about human rights violations and how we can prevent that and how we can um, um, cultivate a culture, a sustainable culture of human rights and rule of law in Gambia. There are future plans for the Memory House exhibition to visit Ghana, Nigeria and New York. Well, that's it for Iron Africa. Thanks for joining us. Do so again if you can. Till then, take care.
Welcome to Tikrit, a city made famous by Saddam Hussein, who was born in the nearby village of Al Awaja. This was his grave, but no one knows where or what's become of his tomb. The city is now the symbol of conflict between the former dictator's local Sunni supporters and pro-Iran Shiite militia. Decret revisited 20 years after the fall of Saddam Hussein on France 24 and France24.com. Liberté, égalité, actualité.